Good morning. It's good to be here this morning. Hope you've had a good week. What a blessing to gather together on the first day of the week, worship God, sing praises to Him, turn our hearts to a prayer and a study of God's Word and have fellowship with Him with one, with one another. It's good. It's good to be here this morning. Um, we're going to have our scripture reading and prayer this morning. So let's see, I know where, where is she? Stephanie's there and Donna, you're coming up, you're leading us in prayer. And uh, I'm going to throw a curveball on somebody and there's a reason for it. Y'all come on up. Uh, Brooke, would you come here too, please? And bring a Bible. I didn't ask her, but there's a reason I'm doing this. So she's going to help read scripture too. I'll explain that in a minute. So would you read Matthew 4? Got it? Yes. Okay, we're going to have uh, two scripture readings, uh, Stephanie and Brooke, and then Donna will lead us in prayer, and then you two young ladies stay up here. So, okay, can you hold? Yes. All right. Good morning. Uh, we'll be in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Let us rejoice in our hope and the confident assurance of the glory of God. And not only this, let us exult in our sufferings and rejoice in our hardships, knowing that hardship produces patient endurance, and endurance proven character, and proven character hope and confident assurance. Such hope never disappoints us because God's love has been abundantly poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Uh, we're in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 20. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of the heaven is near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Donna will lead us in prayer. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son and our Savior and for our daily companion, the Holy Ghost. May we quiet our souls and our minds that we may listen to his leadings and heed his directions. Let us not ignore the little things, for we don't know the impact even the smallest thing we do or a single spoken word may have on one another. 
Let us not be so busy that we miss those opportunities. One of the greatest gifts that we can give is a gift of self. Let someone know that you're thinking of them. Just a thought can mean more than anything that we may know. Father, we thank you for the family that you've provided for us in this gathering. Just knowing that should we have a need, whether it's prayer or otherwise, that we can reach out and it's a blessing. Father, we thank you so much for the needed moisture. Let us take time to appreciate your creation, the daffodil that bloomed, the tree or the shrub that's beginning to leaf out, new calves on the ground, evidences of creation that are all around us. We thank you for those who dedicate their lives that ours may be safer and more comfortable, the military, first responders, the medical community. Father, we thank you for Mark and all that he does to add to our worship and for Aubrey and the message that he is about to bring. Go with us as we leave this place, and if it be your will, bring each of us together again. Amen. You may be seated. Would you ladies step here for just a second, Donna and Stephanie and Brooke? And I want these young ladies up here uh, to see this. You have... You know, this is a young lady who has graduated from college and she's going to become, a, she's actually, you're certified to be a vet now, right? I have passed my national boards. I'm not licensed to practice yet. Okay, so, but she's on the direction there. This young lady has now been accepted in vet school. Is that correct? Yes. And she's a mother. <laughs> she's a mother. And, of course, she's married to Justin, and that's lots of prayers for her. Uh, <laughs> and then you have Donna here, and she, she's just another example of the women. I was thinking of Di up here, and we just have so many spiritual women. I can't, can't have all everybody up here, but you've got uh, generations of spiritual women up here. And there are different journeys and places in their lives. And the prayer that she, I didn't, listen, she took time to share the spiritual thoughts. She talk, if, you heard, if you're listening, she talked about the companion of the Holy Spirit. You know? I just called on her, boom, she gets up here. She's singing songs up here. She's got a child in the nursery and she's reading scripture. The Bible says we're a peculiar people. And what a blessing to be surrounded by spiritual men and women. And spiritual, we got some spiritual young folks. And, uh, so I just want us to not just get up here, read this scripture, say the prayer, and not really understand and see the significance of the Spirit of Christ in these young ladies, young ladies, and uh, what, how blessed we are to have the fellowship of the Spirit of Christ in us. Thank you. It is good to be here. I just want to say very quickly, uh, for those of you who need an update, uh, on Danny Alewine, he's been to the emergency room twice this week at MD Anderson and had got went, came back, back again. He's there. Uh, he's having platelet issues. You know, he already has a blood disorder as he's been fighting this cancer. Um, things are pretty rough. They've got some issues with their spleen. They're trying to figure out what they can do with that. Uh, obviously, they're wore out. And uh, so many of you have been praying for them they ask and encourage us to continue to pray for them april smith had a procedure in houston they were trying to determine uh 
they, there was a thought that they could just go in, remove the cancer, no chemo, no radiation. That's not the case. She'll probably be coming home on, on Monday. Uh, so obviously, uh, they're going to be in the very same journey, literally, that Scott Cronauer has gone through. And so uh, pray, uh, continue to pray for the Smith, Dave, and April, and had a good visit with them this week. So Stacy Cronauer uh, lost her father. Cravey, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Stacy Cravey lost her father, uh, and was it yesterday? And, uh, and so, obviously, Stacy, there's mourning there. Uh, so I, I just was very proud to see Jan here this morning. She's, other than just being married to Larry, she has broken ribs, and uh, she broke her ribs. And uh, she's, she's a uh, man. She went to troop one night and been to church ever since, and that's some tough Minnesota gals, some tough northern gals, so uh, continue to keep her in prayer. We're going to have a short meeting. I see most of you here. Our children's worship, we're going to start that really quickly, maybe as early as next week, certainly within two weeks, right after church services. We'll meet next door uh, briefly just to give you the perimeters of our children's church and worship and uh, the volunteers involved, the curriculum we have. And uh, looking forward to that. That'll be good. And uh, look forward to us having that time uh, together. So let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 4. And I want to, uh, really this is a continuation of lesson 2 last week, uh, our discipleship. We handed out lesson 3. We'll be there next week. Uh, but in, in Matthew chapter 4, um, this is the second part of that message. And really what I, I want us to focus on is this statement that has to do with discipleship, being a follower, being a follower of Christ, following Christ. Christian mean, we had an outstanding, outstanding class with our youth group this morning, and uh, they really, uh, you know, as I'd ask them a series of questions, they're, they're really very thoughtful. You folks are doing a good job with them. I believe you are as parents. Uh, but Christian, it just simply means to be a follower of Christ, someone who follows Christ. And it's supposed to look different. You know, we're all following something or somebody. We're, we're, we're following something or something. It's our nature. We're all followers. We're following something or someone. To be a Christian, to be Christian means follower of Christ. And, uh, but I want to look at this statement then. And we'll begin in verse 18, chapter 4, Matthew. It says, And walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Christ, the Son of God, the anointed King of Israel, walking by the Sea of Galilee. And we're taught that um, Christ, the Son of God, became flesh. He became like us, and we see the humanity of Christ. He's walking by... <laughs> I just, every time you read Ephesians, or Isaiah chapter 9 and you read this description that Isaiah talks about who God is, he's, he's, a, he's the Prince of Peace. He's a wonderful counselor. He is eternal Father. And to think of Christ, the Son of God, our Savior, the King, the Judge of all men, here he is. He's walking by the Sea of Galilee and he sees, he, he sees. I'm always reminded of that a passage in Chronicles, it says, where the eyes of the Lord, the eyes of the Lord are roaming 
viewing, scanning the whole creation to see whose heart is totally his. What if you and I lived our life that way? Where we literally woke up in the morning, all the minutes, hours, uh, you know, in the day that we're, we're conscious and we're awake and we're living and we truly believed and considered that the eyes of the Lord are, is fully aware, fully aware of what's going on in our heart. So Christ here, he's walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw these fishermen and he said, burst to them, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. He saw them, not a random event, and they immediately left the nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them, and they immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. We studied the first section of this lesson two uh, in discipleship. This is the conclusion of that lesson. But I, I, again, I want you to focus on that statement. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I mentioned to you last week that this is truly, if you looked at all the history of humanity, I don't care where you'd, I don't know, maybe you go to World War II, maybe you go to the Civil War, maybe you go during the time, maybe the Roman Empire. I'd, history, wouldn't you conjure up thoughts of history and you start to, you know, diagram history? I would just say to you, and I believe this, that this moment right here, if I understand history in relationship to God, the creation, Christianity, if I understand it in relationship to the statement that Paul writes about Christ in the first chapter of Colossians, that he's before, Christ is before all things. He's, he, he's before all things. And, and it was the Father's good pleasure for all of his fullness to dwell in him. Without him, nothing was made. Do you realize that? Without Christ, nothing was made. All things were created by him and through him and for him. The supremacy of Christ. And so now here we are, this point in history, if you've read the Gospel of Matthew, you know that Jesus made a statement to uh, Peter. He, he asked me, he said, in chapter 16, who do people say I am? And Peter said, well, some say you're this, and Jeremiah, and Elijah, John the Baptist returned from the dead. Well, who do you say? Well, you're the son of the living God. And he said, blessed are you, Simon of Barjona, because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And now you're going to be called Peter. And I'm going to build the church, my church, his church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Here it is. This point in this place in history, the God of all creation walking on the beach sees men, individuals. He saw something in them. We'll get to that in a second. And he said, follow me and I'll make you. Now the word make is a Greek word and uh, it's Katipso. Now, what it means in this passage, what it literally means is God makes something where there was nothing. Literally, he says, so follow me 
And I'm going to form something where there's nothing. Literally nothing. That's what the word means. That's what he said to them. You follow me, and I will form in you, create in you, manufacture in you, build in you something that only God could do where there's nothing. Nothing. Now, I want to tell you, that first and foremost, if you're a disciple, if you're a follower of Christ, the first thing is, is God chooses. God chooses. He chooses you. Go to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Just as these men, this was not a random moment. God didn't have a random moment. Well, let's see. I'm going to leave the throne room of heaven. I'm going to be born in the flesh. I don't know how that's going to happen. Hopefully something, you know. Going to be born in Bethlehem of a virgin. It's been written about for hundreds of years. Uh, but it's going to happen. And then when, I, and when I'm 30 years old, I'm going to one day, uh, I'm going to show it. Hopefully I'll find 12. Hopefully I'll find a dozen people that uh, I, can, I can make into followers, you know, disciples. Did, could you imagine that? What if, it's, it would be inane. It could, it's nothing conceivable. So now, what does that have to do with you? I think this is paramount in our understanding of our relationship with God. Now, we're going to read it in the passage, uh, John 15. I'm going to begin in verse 12. Verse 12. Jesus speaking. It says, verse 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. You're my friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. He didn't say you're my friends. He said you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father uh, have uh, made known to you. You, now, church, this is just one verse. If you want to do a topical study, you will find this tenet, biblical belief, Genesis through Revelation, and you will. It's paramount that we understand this. You're seeing it on the Sea of Galilee. You're, it's verified here in Scripture, and you should recognize it in your life. You and I should recognize this in our life. It, it's paramount to you and I understanding the role of God in our lives if we're a follower. You did not choose me, but I chose you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. That you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. And this I command you, that you love one another. Church, I, I, I just can't, the very first thing we see in this discipleship, God making disciples, forming something where there is nothing. The only God, by the way, that word katipso uh, means that could only God could do it. So you say, well, I'll, I'll make a pie. Well, good. You can make pies. Be good. 
but but God, see all the ingredients for the pie are there. You, no, no. This word means I'm going to make it because only God, only God alone can make this happen. Only God. This word literally means God, only alone God makes something where there's nothing. Now, if you're a disciple of Christ, if you're a follower, the first thing is God chose you. You did not choose him. If you can find that concept in Scripture, please, please, please show it to me. Now, that's important. That's a blessing. I had a guy, R.C. Edmondson, and I'm, I'm just going to say this, because every time I uh, think of this, it just he's a wonderful man. Uh, he was in a church here in Lomita, and we had started going to church. I was doing ministry there, and he's an older gentleman. He's in his 80s. Wonderful, wonderful, genteel man. He put his arm up to me, and he looked at Tammy. He said, boy, I tell you what, fella, you're a good chooser. You're a good picker. And he said, now that old boy here, he knows how to pick them, you know. And I, I'm probably going to get in trouble for all that. But, you know, I want you to just consider that. Now, you know, it's interesting to me why we even have a debate or it's an issue over the reality of or the understanding of this. Here's what I want you to go through the process. Wouldn't you much rather have God choose you than you choose him? That, let me explain that. All the things that we're going to, Scripture's going to verify this for us, all the things that we might make a choice about are limited to who we are and are limited to the knowledge that we have. Jesus Christ died on a cross. It said, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, that he became sin. He became sin. The scripture says, cursed is he who hangs on a tree. I've said this in this hearing before. We read the crucifixion, the passion stories in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we, you know, we might focus on, we love that story about the prisoner, the criminal on the cross. And they're both mocking him at some point, both the criminals, one on either side. And one of them comes to the conclusion and says, you know what, now wait a second. Uh, he's done that. We deserve what we're getting. He's done nothing. He said, Jesus, remember we, when you come into paradise. And Jesus said, I'll tell you today, you're going to be there. Yeah, I, you, you're going to be with me today in paradise. You're going to. And then we even think of the Roman centurion that at, at the death of Christ, and Christ says that it's finished, and he said, surely this man was the son of God. But I would say to you, if you understand the Passover, and if you understand the Day of Atonement, and if you've read the book of Hebrews, and if you've read the law in the Old Testament, and if you've heard the statement of Jesus, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Listen, that priest, known and unknown, guilty, and those that wouldn't even aware of their guiltiness, when atonement was made with the sacrificial lamb, the sins of all the people were forgiven. And I would say to you, you could not convince me otherwise. When Jesus is on the cross, you want to trust God's choosing because the man who'd been mocked and spit upon and beaten and cursed and reviled and conspired against, when he said, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. That meant the mocking criminal, the one that didn't say, remember me. That meant all the minions in the crowds of rebellious, cursing people out there. Listen, I don't know what I do and don't trust as it relates to me. I'm a shaky vessel. I can't speak for you, but I am. I got 61 years to prove this old boy's a shaky vestal. 
Ah, he's a leaky vessel. I'm not proud of that. That's not false humility. I'm in the flesh. Paul would say, I have to die to sin daily. I'm the chief of all sinners. The older I get, the more I understand that. You don't, listen, but, wow, I can trust somebody to make the right decision who can hang on a cross and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It should not be an affront to you or a quiz to you or a challenge to you that you had nothing to do with the choosing of God. But it is. Satan, Satan, you know who desires most? You know who's the number one fan of you taking credit or I taking credit or we taking credit for something God did? You know who the number one fan of that is? Satan. I just, boy, it'd be good if I get him to believe, if I get that old gal, if I get that fellow to believe they had something to do with this. Because I'll always have a little bit of their pride. So he's walking down the Sea of Galilee. He sees me. He says, follow me. That wasn't random. God chooses. God chooses. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain. Now, so he chooses. And then he makes us. Again, though, who does he choose? Go to 1 Corinthians. Let's do this. We got time. We're going to be good. Don't worry. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. Well, this back to that choosing deal. Verse 16. Boy, you talk about Paul writing to a bunch of messed up Christians. You won't find a more messed up group of Christians in the New Testament than the Corinthians. Man, they got issues. <laughs> They're suing each other in open court. There's a sexual immorality named amongst them that ain't even named amongst the Gentiles. They're abusing the Lord's Supper. <laughs> I'm just, it's a, listen, the church has always been a mess. What did old Gandhi say when he was asked about Christ? He said, I don't have a problem with your Christ. I, my problem was that bloody thing he drags behind him called the church. Read it in the book of Acts. Get to chapter 6, they're just fighting over which widow is getting fed. They go from Acts 2 and 41, where they had all things in common, to, you know, just in a very short time, well, whose widows are getting fed first? And then you read all of them. 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, Paul's pastoral letters to young preachers, going to be old preachers, talking about the church. John's three letters. You go to the, the Revelation, the church is Asia Minor, seven of Jesus had. The church is a mess. Always has been. And this is who he chooses. Paul writing to these messed up bunch of Christians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For consider your calling, brethren. Brethren, that's you and I. That there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God, this is how God chooses. I can trust this. I trust this more than I trust me or you. You can see it in the 12, but she says it right here. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world 
to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised. And God has chosen the things that are not that he might nullify the things that are that no man should boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. There's not a living, breathing man, woman, individual, child who has ever done anything by your doing or my doing to be chosen of God. It's in a direct violation of Scripture if you believe that. Once again, why would that be important? Well, you put it into the making. God alone can only take something where there's nothing and make something. Not, not where there's 1%. God doesn't say, well, you know what? There's 1%. I can do something with the one. There's 1% of something there. No, 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 no. There's nothing. Paul said it best in Romans. He quotes the Old Testament. He said, no, there's not one that, de not one that desires. Church, this is important. If we're going to study discipleship, if we're going to become followers of Christ, you and I had better understand that God shows us and He makes us. He makes us. His doing is that why I'm in Christ Jesus. But by His doing you're in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Just that it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So that now makes you, makes you, makes you. How does he make you? He chose you. It's not up for debate. Only Satan would want you and I to debate that. But then he makes us. He makes us. He equips us. He equips us. Go with me to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. We just read that passage out of Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. But in the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verse 37. John 7, verse 37. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, uh, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. We'll just start there. Okay, makes this great statement about those who believe as it relates to Scripture and, and what Christ will do for us. And begin verse 39, but this he spoke of the Spirit. Think about how he made you, forming something where there's nothing, equipping you, 
And he's talking about a relationship, but it has something to do with the spirit. But the spirit has not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So go to John chapter 14. We'll tie this together very quickly. John chapter 14. I'm braiding up here, man. He's searching them scriptures. He's right there. What a blessing. John chapter 14, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. How much of the discord in a church by professing Christians... So oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Let's sing a hymn. And then there's this discord. Pride. Division. And it's always because somebody's not getting their way. 100% of the time, it's just that way. We're like squabbling little children, and then we struggle with the flesh. We try to win people over to our side, and we and then we call names, and we gossip. And If you or I say that I love Jesus, how could you or I behave that way and say we love Jesus? Because he says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. You'll obey them. And I'll ask the Father, and here it is, church, and he'll give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. He'll be in you. I'll not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. After a little while, the world will behold me no more, but you will behold me because I live. You shall live also. In him we live and we believe. In that day you shall know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Now, Judas. Hmm. Verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot, the other apostle, said to him, uh, Lord, and we always associate that name, but there were two of them. What then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? What's going on here? We don't fully understand this. And Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will make to, uh, and he will, we will come to him and make our home ab abide with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But listen to this, church. Now connect that John 7 here. Now John 14. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that I have said to you. All that I've said to you. Now go to John 15. Just two verses. 
15th chapter of John. Verse 26 and 27. When the helper comes, whom I'll send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me, and you will bear fruit. Uh, uh, you will bear witness also, because you have been with me from the beginning. So again, when the helper comes, whom I'll send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me, and you, and you will bear witness also because you have been with me from the beginning. Now back to Romans 5, and we'll tie this up. Romans 5, making God alone forming something that, where there's nothing. John, now Romans chapter 5. I think Braden's already there, man. Hmm. Verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith. Ephesians 2, you read it. Paul writes the, Roman, uh, the Ephesians. He said, you have been saved by grace through faith, that not of yourself, lest no man boast. Remember we just read 1 Corinthians? You've been saved by grace through faith, that not of yourself, lest no man boast. And so now he writes to Romans, therefore having been justified by faith, and Jesus is the author and perfecter in faith. You and I aren't. He's faithful. We're not. But having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. What does James and 1 Peter say about the making of a disciple, the follower of Christ? He said, count it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials and tribulations because God's doing something. Even in our trials and tribulations. You go back to Genesis. Joseph knew after 13 years in prison being sold into slavery at the end of his life before his father and his brothers, he could say what man intended for evil, God intended for good. The katipso, God forming something where there's nothing. And so here he's doing it in our lives. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. Verse 5, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now listen to this. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Who does he choose? He chooses. You don't choose. He, it's His work. And then as He makes us and equips us, as, as, he, as, as the eyes have scanned, and He could see something in Steve Dipfer's heart, or Braden's heart, or what, He sees something that only He can see. You and I wouldn't see. He said, I'm going to choose Him. I'm going to strongly support that person. I'm going to save that person. And then when He does it, because of His love, He pours the Holy Spirit into our hearts. And then the great struggle begins. The Bible says the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We're spiritual be beings fighting this, this battle. It's not conscious or morality like the world would do. The righteousness of men is like a filthy rag unto God. Isaiah in chapter 66. 
Our righteousness is like a filthy rag. But when you become a spiritual person by the grace of God, the will and intention of God, God pouring into you the Holy Spirit, God is making you, forming something in you and I that there was, there was nothing. And only He alone could do it to be a spiritual being. We're not going to talk about it this morning so that we could be fishers of men. But we'll end here. Day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2. Peter stands before this, this crowd. He with the eleven. Judas had already committed suicide. They'd drawn lots and Matthias was chosen. The fulfillment of the prophet Joel had taken place. Young men and young women were now prophesying in this city of peace, Jerusalem. Well, they had just crucified the Savior. God had empowered, if you go to John in chapter 20, you know, people think that they received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. No, they did not. All you got to read is the Gospel of John. Christ reappeared to them. See, He had been glorified. We just read it in John 7. Now he's glorified. And it says the disciples were gathered where they'd had communion in the room, the upper room, for fear of the Jews. And he said, peace be with you. The Prince of Peace. And you know what it says? It says he breathed his spirit into them. They now had the Holy Spirit. The evidence of the Holy Spirit, the working, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit was seen just as Joel said it would be in the second chapter of Acts. And these tongues of fire appeared and they descended on these. And it was not the tongues of angels. It was a legitimate a tongue. It was, if, you were, if you were German and you didn't speak Hebrew, you would have heard, you would have heard it in that native language. Over, it's estimated over 37 different dialects were present there. And as Peter spoke, it didn't matter where you were from, you would understand it in your native language. It was a fulfillment in the, out of the prophet of Joel. As he preaches a sermon, and the end of the sermon, here it is, church. Here it is. He said, men of Israel, be sure of one thing. Now Israel meant the people that strive with God. So he said, people, men, of the people, who, men, of the people who strive with God, this Jesus from Nazareth, you killed him. Said they were pierced to the heart. When you go to Psalm, the 51st Psalm, you'll see that God desires a broken heart and a contrite spirit. You go to 1 Samuel 16, God says, as they're looking for a king of Israel, he says, the, to the Sam, prophet Samuel, he said, God, God judges the heart. You go to Romans 10, it says, with the heart we believe. We just read in Romans 5 that God through His love poured into our hearts the Holy Spirit. We believe with our hearts. But the heart, above all else, is wicked. Solomon would write to Proverbs, he would say, above all else, before I, the number one thing that you and I need to do is guard your heart, because from it the well springs of life flow. It's where we believe. It's where great wickedness comes from. It's what God judges. And at the preaching of God's words, Romans 10 and 17, consequently faith comes by hearing and hearing the story of Christ.
Ephesians 2, you're saved by grace through faith, that not of yourself, lest no, no man boast. Romans 10, 17, and prior to that, he says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Prior to that, he said, with the heart we believe, right there in the 10th chapter. Prior to that, in 10, 1, he said, my prayers for the Jews, God's people, they have, a, they have a passion for God, but not in accordance with righteousness because they're trying to establish their own. Let me tell you something, church. The church is full of that. The church is full of people that are trying to establish their own righteousness because they think, I think, you think, we think, whoever it is, we think we had something to do with our salvation. Satan loves it. And we're just doing God a favor. But the gospel said no. While we're still lost, without hope, condemned, the godly died for the ungodly. And it says, we're saved by grace through faith, that not ourselves. And the only way you get faith, there's only one way, church, and this leads to next week. There's only one way. There's only one, there's, there's only one Bible mandate for faith. One and only one. There's no magic wand. There's no uh, emotional movement. There's no intellectual. The Bible says the intellect puffs up. There's only one way. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the story of Christ. On Pentecost 2,000 years ago, Peter stood, that's God's will, not mine. They heard the story of Christ and they said, men of Israel, be sure one thing, you killed him, you killed him. And it said they were pierced to their hearts and said, what must we do? God had been glorified. If you go to chapter 1 of Acts, Christ has ascended into heaven. Joel's prophecy had been fulfilled. The apostles have the Holy Spirit. Jesus is proclaimed. Jesus is preached. And the same people that would have been in a crowd just a few months earlier that would have said, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. I'm convinced that several of the thousands over 3,000 were baptized this day. I'm convinced that there was those people that were saying crucify. And now they're saying, what must we do? Now I want to tell you something. Been a lot of debate over this. They were saved. At that point, they were saved. Now this is what a disciple does when he's saved. When his heart is pierced. His spirit is broken and he cries out, just like Romans 10 says. He said, repent. If God has convicted you through the preaching of God's word, your heart is pierced. And that's why I'm so anti, 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 anti turning the gospel into a little fairy tale story that'll make you and I feel good about ourselves. I just am anti that. I don't do altar calls. I don't. I'm not going to criticize anybody that does. I'm telling you why I don't. The altar call is from God to your heart. And let me tell you something what Scripture says. Whoever God calls, <laughs> no, listen, is it, nothing can separate, will separate, nothing. If God has called you and God has saved you, there's nothing that can separate you from the calling and the love of God. 
And I, I have to tell you, it just does. You know, I, I, it would be very simple to, to tickle your ears and to turn something into a pleasant little and fire you up for Jesus. He needs my friend. I call it Mickey Mouse preaching in gospel. Jesus told a story about it in Matthew 13. He said about his farmer walking down the road and the seed falls beside the road in the thorny places. And then, you know, and, and he said that the seed is the word of God. And there are those that receive it with joy. Why wouldn't you receive it? Man, Jesus loves you. And he's forgiving you. And we have such a distorted view of love anyway. And why wouldn't you receive that? My sins will be forgiven. I don't really have that much. I mean, Jesus had to clarify that. He said the problem with Christians or people that call themselves followers of God is many of us don't think there's that been that much done for us. He said he who is forgiven little loves little. And he who is forgiven much loves much. Let me tell you something. There's, here's some evangelism here. From your preacher. Weigh your heart. Test your heart. If you think you've been forgiven a little bit, you will act like you've been forgiven a little bit. It'll be easy for you to throw a tantrum when you don't get your way. It'll be easy for you to have hatred and malice and slander and libel in your heart for a brother in Christ, sister in Christ. This is real. But see what he says, they receive it with joy and then a little trouble. It just says a little trouble. A little trouble comes along and you know who steals it away? Satan. Then he said there's the seed that falls, it's the word of God, in the thorny places. And they receive it, but it says two things happen. Anxiety and the riches of the world. Anxious. Oh Lord, I don't know if we're going to get through this. Or, I've got so much money, I'm really not that dependent upon God. God's a nice thing. Last I have him in my hip pocket, but he's just part of the hip pocket. He ain't the whole pocket. And then he said, there's the good soil. The good soil has a broken heart and a contrite spirit. The good soil will repent. I'm a sinner. Luke 18, dear Lord God Almighty, have mercy on me, a sinner. Good soil. And then he says, Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. That wasn't so, you're not baptized so that your sins will be forgiven. You're baptized the word, the Greek word is is, because your sins have been forgiven. Do you know what he was asking them to do to be baptized on that day? Humiliate themselves. If you were a Jew 2,000 years ago, and if you were in uh, uh, Jerusalem to observe the Passover, or the day of Pentecost, and, and, and the Jewish preacher up there said, okay, you want to get right with God? You believe the story that you believe? And, okay, God saved you. So now, if you believe that, you better stay, you better repent. Understand it. Your sin versus his righteousness. And by the way, I need you to do something. You couldn't have asked a Jew to do a more humiliating thing in front of thousands, uh, be baptized. Be immersed in water. You know, the only uh, people that needed, if you were Jewish 2,000 years ago and it had been this way since the law of Moses, baptism, you know what baptism said? If you weren't Jewish and you were converting to Judaism for 1,500 years prior to this day, one of the things you had to do was be baptized. And you would go before the Jewish community and the rabbi would take you down there 
There's a great story about a young man who had, or a man that had leprosy, not going there, and they would immerse you in water. You know why that was so humiliating to them? Now, the Jews wouldn't participate in it, but they would take a proselyte, somebody that wasn't Jewish. It was admitting to the world that you were a filthy wretch. You were filthy. And you needed a bath. Change the way you think about that. So the ones that God saved that day, they're the preaching of God's word. No altar call. The altar call was the preaching of God's word to the heart of a repentant person. They cried out, what must we do? And the church started. Discipleship began. God was making something that only he could make where there was nothing. There was nothing before that moment. There was nothing. Nothing. There was just a bunch of religious people that had formed pretty much anything that they were based upon themselves. But that day, Catipso happened. God made what he alone could make from nothing. Now, I do want to encourage you. I don't do this, and I need to do this more often. If you're at a place in your life, and you're, you're you know, God has convicted your heart. And you're searching the scripture, and you're praying to God. And you do believe in the life of Christ and his sacrifice. But you need, you, you, you want, listen, that is God calling you to the katipso moment in your life. You come see me, one of the elders, get with a good brother, spiritual brother, sister in Christ, and have fellowship. When Di was up here this morning, you know what she was doing? She was using the very spirit that Christ put in her to bear fruit. That's good. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful that you would choose what no other man would choose. That you would give us, equip us the gift of your Holy Spirit because your Son was glorified and you were glorified. And Father, we are so grateful then that you are making in us, you're forming in us something where there was nothing so that we too could bear fruit we too could seek and save that which was lost. And so, Father, we honor you for your choices and your making and your spirit. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.